Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Welcome back. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Lauren Hardy. Lauren is a real estate investor with a people-first approach to business. Investing in hundreds of properties throughout her career, Lauren has the unique reputation of being a successful virtual investor, having not lived in many of the states she's invested in. Following the philosophy we talk so much about here on the podcast of live where you want and invest where the numbers make sense, in today's conversation, Lauren and I talk about how she's done just that going from flipping single-family homes in the expensive Southern California markets to investing out-of-state and virtual wholesaling in markets like Nashville and others. We talk about that and much more in today's conversation, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right, today I welcome on the show Lauren Hardy. Lauren, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Well, hey, Lauren, you and I were just chatting before the show. So uh, let's catch up the audience members on exactly who you are, what you do, your background, all that good stuff. Awesome. So, well, who I am, my name is Lauren Hardy and I live in Orange County, California. I am a real estate investor. I've been investing for eight years. I started out as a house flipper and I was flipping houses in my backyard here in Orange County. My market territory at the time was like OC, LA, Inland Empire. And when it started getting expensive here, when prices started creeping up and it got very difficult to find deals at the spreads that I really wanted to get them at, I started investing out of state. So now I am 100% out of state. They call that virtual investing. And I actually have a coaching program and I teach all things virtual investing. So investing out of state when you can't invest in your backyard. I love it. You know, that's kind of goes to our mantra of, you know, invest where the numbers make sense, live where you want that location independence, right? I absolutely love that soft spot in my heart for out of state investing. That's how I got started. And that's primarily what I do to this day. So tell us more a little bit about that model and how you kind of came across it, how you made it work. Lots of people have trepidations about investing out of state. It's scary. You never see the real estate. You can't as easily go touch and feel it and all those kinds of uh, common concerns people have. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I went out of state out of necessity. If I would have stayed in California and kept trying to do deals here, I wouldn't be in this business anymore. There no, you know, there just were not very many deals in my backyard and it was getting very expensive to find these deals. I was doing a lot of the direct to seller marketing that you hear about, you know, like the direct mail and cold calling and whatnot. And it was just getting very, very expensive to get a deal. I had to make a ton of offers. 
probably five times as many offers than I do now out of state to get one deal in California. So really you were working harder to get that deal. So I'd had to do it out of necessity and I had to make it work. I didn't really have a choice. I started around 2016 is when I decided to make that jump and go fully out of state. I definitely went back and forth with the idea for a while. At first it was like, well, you know, I need to just like diversify myself. Like let's just not have all my eggs in one basket. So the first couple years of it was had some flip projects local and then I had some development projects in Nashville. That was my first venture out of state. It was Nashville, Tennessee, and it was ground up construction that I got into. It then evolved into wholesaling. You know, with the ground up construction that I was doing, I realized that wholesaling lots was the thing to do there. You were finding old homes, knocking them down, building two or four in their place. Yeah. So, you know, I started doing some direct to seller marketing, looking for deals, you know, to wholesale to other investors in Nashville. And then I kind of just fell into the, you know, volume wholesaling operation. And yeah, I mean, kind of the rest is history. I did get out of Nashville because Nashville became very competitive. (laughs) If you know anything about what was going on in Nashville, like it was insane at that time. Like everybody was getting into buying houses in Nashville and flipping and building new builds and whatnot. I want to get into that wholesaling by volume model in a second, but just to bring up a point, you know, one's default market usually to get started investing is their backyard, their home market, where they live, where they know, where they drive around every day, right? And if they're going to invest out of state, that leads to the question of where then? If your opportunities are endless, do you invest in Fargo, North Dakota or Orlando, Florida or Nashville, Tennessee? It's like, well, that's why so many people choose to invest in their backyard because you know, they know it. But if you're going to invest out of state, how did you come up with, you know, where to invest in and what kind of metrics did you look at? What drove you to those markets? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So at first, I mean, this is like tons of trial and error and I made a lot of mistakes. Let me tell you. So the first mistake was just like picking a territory based on this sounds like a cool place to visit. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's all that went in. Yeah. All that went into it. I want to visit Nashville and I do have a soft spot for the South. I family, you know, in South Carolina. So that was all the thought that I put into it at that time. Obviously, I learned from, you know, that maybe it wasn't the best idea going into a market that was like at the time, the number one real estate market in the country. At that time, a lot of people would compare Nashville to like an Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. It was heating yeah. up and it became very competitive. I was, I ended up competing with like people that were local. Like, so for example, I was virtual talking to these sellers on the phone, trying to convince them to sell me their home. Right. They would take my offer, walk outside of their door, go to the nearest construction site, which was three steps away and bid my offer up. And then (laughs) it was like that easy that they could get, you know, a higher price. So I recommend not going into territory that is like right now in some huge growth spurt. So what I ended up doing, I left Nashville and I went for a more balanced market, uh, markets that are not in the news for any particular reason. Yeah, those are the ones we like the most, right? Yeah, the one, you know, there's not like a TV show like that just, you know, started there or is based yeah. off of there, like just a normal middle America area. So I picked some Midwestern market. 
Okay. Yeah. So rather than kind of looking at those qualitative places, like where would I personally like to vacation? You start looking where those uh, quantitative metrics make a bit more sense, right? Price points, rent to value ratios, all those things. So that started coming together. Where did you kind of move to after that Nashville market and why? Oklahoma. No way. That's my home state. That's my soft spot. Don't tell anybody about that place, by the way. (laughs) But I went to Oklahoma. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, Midwest markets. I like Midwest markets. Yes, you mentioned the rent to price ratio. I think that that is a very big indicator for a good balanced market. So in California, for example, your rent to price ratio is stupid. It doesn't even make any sense. Like you can rent a, I mean, I don't have a calculator on me right now, but you can rent like an $800,000 house for like $3,200. Yeah. As opposed <laughs> to if you're needing to hit maybe that 1% rent to value ratio, that yeah. would be an $8,000 a month you would need. Yeah. So Theoretically, yeah. If it was 1%, you know, I should be renting for $8,000 a month, not $3,200. Yeah. So I love markets that have that meet that like 1% or a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, coming from experience, I know that you can certainly get those numbers in the Oklahoma market. I don't want to talk too much about the market. I don't want to draw attention there, you know, but <laughs> yeah. well, believe me, there's enough competition there. It's I think and I've noticed it it's funny with the platform you have, all it takes is you mention, you know, where you are and everybody assumes, "Oh, well, that must be the virtual market." So, I host a podcast as well and I'm known as being the virtual investor. And a lot of people think, oh, well, that just must be the virtual market, the one she's in. And I go, you guys, every market, I mean, there's so many markets that can be a good virtual market. I would suggest picking one that is not super competitive, that you don't hear that, you know, a major like pod, a guru is in making all this money or whatever, you know, right. like, don't face that. Don't just go because someone else is there, you know plenty of great places in the country to invest in that meet that like 1% rent to price rule. So there are a lot of hurdles that you have to overcome investing out of state as opposed to investing in your back market. Some of those, you know, are, you know, developing a remote team, right? Being able to remotely close on properties and remote property management and those things. So talk about those pieces and how you incorporate those in your investing kind of philosophy. Right. So having a team, having the right people on your side is very important. It'll make or break you. So I do really rely on boots on ground. I like to recommend everybody start out with a good JV partner. I mean, the joint venture partner, if you guys Mm -hmm. don't know what that stands for. Somebody, if you are, say, wholesaling, somebody that can do everything that would require like you to be there. So like more of the disposition side, you can do a lot of the acquisition where you're at. So I do all that. Like my team does everything acquisitions on the phone in California. We get contracts signed, like up to the contract being signed. We do it through DocuSign. It's all done in California over the phone. But then now it's, and we're primarily wholesaling. So, you know, walking buyers through, you know, getting a lockbox on the house sometimes if the seller will allow it or meeting the seller to take photos. That is, I would say the first person you go to is a good joint venture partner who can handle that with you. After you do maybe five or 10 deals with that JV, you might feel more comfortable building your own buyers list. And I have this position, I call it a runner. I don't know where I came up with this term, but basically it came from an errand runner. And I call it errand runner, right? And it's literally just somebody that you can just 
hire at $20 an hour to run your errands like as if you were there. So go to the properties, take the photos, put lock boxes on homes. Um, yeah. If a seller isn't comfortable with DocuSign, bring a contract over, have the seller sign it, bring it back, you know, stuff like that. That person is a very big key player. It's essentially just an extension of you being there, right? You know, it's this yeah. person doing the things you would do had you been in there on, you know, locally. Absolutely. And if, it, if they don't have to have any experience in real estate at all, all they have to do is like, if, you know, the seller starts asking questions, just call you up and put you on speakerphone. So there just, you go. I like that. Can, yeah, it could be anybody. I like to recommend that they like present themselves well. You know, they have a car, they have, you know, a smartphone, they can take photos, they're responsible, but it doesn't have to be necessarily somebody who, you know, knows much about real estate or construction. Now, when you're talking about real estate investing, there are two big questions to ask yourself starting out. What am I going to do and where am I going to do it? Right. So now you've kind of determined the market. You talked about, you know, you landed in wholesaling. You could have done other things, buy and hold, development like you you know, started in all kinds of different ways. How'd you end up in wholesaling and why? So when I first got started in this business, I learned really quickly that you have to be really fluid with it. That like what you do right now, isn't necessarily what you're going to be doing in four years to make money as an investor. So when I got started, it was right after the recession. It was like, bottom of the market. Okay. Like you can still get really good deals in California. If I had, I known I would have done a lot more flips back then, yeah. um, but I didn't know any better. I was a total newbie, but when I got started flipping was the way you made money. And it was, it was actually pretty safe because I could get properties at very good discounts where you were pretty much guaranteed a profit. When the market started changing and you know, we have an educator out here. His name's Bruce Norris. He's in California and he talks a lot about like the quadrants of like four quadrants of the real estate cycle. So like quadrant one was like right after the recession prices or, you know, at the bottom, or maybe he thinks I, maybe it's quadrant one is the recession okay, and then yeah. like going down. And then like quadrant two is like, you hit the bottom. Quadrant three is like a really great time because it's like, property values are going up as you're almost like as you're holding them, you yeah. know? And then quadrant four is where we are now, where prices seem to be at the highest point and your hairdresser wants to get into flipping houses. <laughs> there you go. Or she is actively flipping houses, yeah. right? Right. And this is in quadrant four, which we've been in for a while. We've been in this quadrant for like a few years in California. I got the recommendation early on because Bruce was one of my, you know, mentors. Um, I followed his, you know, podcast, his newsletters. He always said, go into wholesaling in quadrant four. Yeah. Okay. You don't, don't want to be caught, you know, dancing and the music stops, right? You don't want to be caught with 10 flip projects and now there's an adjustment and you're holding on to them. So that's why I'm wholesaling right now. I chase the market. I go, you know, depending on what quadrant we're in, I change my business. So for a while I was flipping, I was building homes and that was the thing to do at that time to make money. And then as soon as I, as soon as my flips started not making as much money as I was predicting is when I shifted and went into wholesaling. You know, Lauren, I really like that perspective that you lay out there. It's, you know, you're reacting to what the market is doing as to what kind of tool you're going to pull out of your real estate tool belt and, and use, right? So if the market is, 
an expansion, you know, and you're able to make the good spreads on the flips, then do that. But if the market's going in the other direction and maybe wholesaling makes sense, then do that. You see so many people trying to, you know, kind of always use the hammer on the screw, right? And it's maybe not working in their market or in that exact location or with that strategy or whatever. So I really like that kind of approach you bring to it. Yeah, I'm very fluid. You know, I can, I go with it. It's like that who moved my cheese book. You know, you just kind of in our business, like you have to go with it. I do think that people get stuck because they get like afraid to try something new. They get kind of complacent with, well, I'm used to wholesaling and this is all I feel like doing or flipping is like, that was my thing. And I don't want to wholesale. Well, unfortunately, uh, It might be kind of hard for you if you have that mentality. Yeah. And even in a buy and hold world, that's predominantly what I do. Sometimes it's hard to buy and other times, you know, it's easier to buy. So, you know, sometimes your business might be a little stagnant or you're maybe paying more than you want to for a property because you're taking that same strategy and applying it all the time, right? So, you know, there's times when it works better, times when it doesn't work as good. If you want to maximize kind of your efforts, you know, you got to match what the uh, market cycle is doing. Right. And what I noticed is that every time I had to adjust, you know, and do something different in the last eight years, it doesn't take that long to set your business up. It maybe takes about four straight weeks of like, okay, I have to shift my efforts. There's an education portion of it where you need to sort of educate yourself on, okay, now what am I looking for? Now what is like, I went from, you know, house flipping in Southern California, and I knew the numbers and I knew the construction numbers and I knew, you know, what to say to a seller and what to, you know, go to the seller, meet, like meet a seller in person, kind of look at what parts of the home. And then I had the whole process. I had my yeah. contractors I liked and, you know, I had, I even had like the materials I like to use and things like that. Right. right. And then it was like, well, you need to def- diversify. Honestly, like, how are you going to do that? Okay. Well, it took me like a month. I, you know, really studied Nashville. I studied how other builders were making money. Um, I got some good call. It took me a month of getting the architects, getting the lenders, the construction loans, figuring out how to get a construction loan, you know, figuring out what builder I want, picking out, you know, the design of the homes and figuring out zoning, just stuff like that, right? That took me about a month. It didn't take that long. It wasn't like I had to, you know, take another year and figure it out. It took me like maybe a month to kind of get like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Then it went to just wholesaling in the Midwest. That was a little, okay. That one, funny enough, was actually, I would say like my most difficult where I actually had to hire like a mentor. I paid someone a thousand dollars a month to just talk to me because I was like, I'm doing something wrong here. Like I'm not understanding the numbers. I'm not understanding a rental market. Yeah. I was I think you could like probably off because it sounds like you're familiar with these markets. Like I was doing like looking at them like a flipper would. And then my offer price would be like $30,000 on a home that a landlord buyer would actually had paid like $75,000. And I did not understand like why someone would pay 75 when like my flipper numbers were saying I should offer 35. So I had to like relearn how to comp properties out in a rental market and what those types of buyers are looking for, what type of numbers make sense. Again, it took me about a month. Once I hired the mentor, it was like a few phone calls of like, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. I got it. Like, so just, you know, it's like being fluid is really not that hard. 
every market, every strategy has its own nuances, right? And sometimes, you know, you've got to overlap with those different strategies. You might be competing with those home flippers or trying to sell to a buy and hold investor or whatever it might be. But you've been able to kind of figure out how to kind of quickly adapt and pivot. What do you attribute that to? Because, you know, for me, I feel like I've got my wheelhouse. And if you said, hey, Jacob, you've got to go do a new development, I wouldn't know where to start, you know? So like, how do you attribute, you know, your ability to kind of pivot and change directions quickly and efficiently? I think that's probably more of a personality trait yeah. than, than anything else. I've been known to be pretty, you know, resilient and just having to be open-minded about things and willing to just do whatever it takes. I do have very much of a whatever it takes mentality. So like, I'm not going to quit and just go get a job. My alternative, what's the alternative? Go get a job, right? So <laughs> it was, I always look at it like, well, you can either make this business work that you chose to be in and pivot and adjust, or you could just like go back to getting a job. And I don't want to get a job. So it's just I'm a make like, it happen attitude. Make it happen attitude. Yeah. Now let's talk about your uh, kind of like motivation and drive you know, what got you into this? Why are you doing it? You know, you live in a beautiful state, Southern California. You probably don't want to be jumping on flights to uh, Oklahoma or rural America as often as you might find yourself doing. What's kind of driving you to do this and, and, you know, build this businesses and do all it takes to do those things? Well, originally I got started. It was not for money. It was for time freedom. When did I get? I think I was 25 when I started looking into this business. And I'd, I'd had a young daughter. My daughter was like one years old and I had a baby on the way. And I was working a full-time corporate job. I was like seeing my daughter like an hour and a half a day and paying a ton in childcare. And I had another baby now on the way that I'm only going to see another hour and a half a day, you know, and I was, I just felt like there's just no way to raise a child. At the time I was married, I'm actually a single mom now, but at the time I was married and my husband at the time, he worked a corporate job as well. So like we were both really split. Like we had no time. Like if, you know, our daughter Reese got sick, like we'd have to like Rochambeau, who's going to like call in sick for work to take care of her. It was really challenging. So we both knew one of us had to do something where we could work from home and have more flexibility. So originally it was just this idea of like wanting to be able to pick up my kids from school one day, wanting to go to the park on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Those were my dreams. It was never really about making a ton of money, but then it's like it evolved into something I could never, I never in a million years, if you told me that eight years ago that I would be where I'm at today, I would never had believed you. It just evolves and snowballs again. And maybe that's something with the being fluid and just having, I've moved around and I would get opportunities and I always said yes. And it's turned into like some cool, really cool stuff in this business that I got to be a part of. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so many people can, you know, make excuses for themselves and they might say, I live in an expensive market or I'm a single mom raising a couple kids or, you know, I have this hardship or this challenge or, you know, whatever, this reason why, but you didn't let any of those stop you. In fact, it drove you to do what you did. So I find that really interesting. And I just, you know, want to call it out to, you know, you know, motivate and inspire the audience members who, you know, are maybe living in that expensive market or have that kind of challenge in their life that, you know, they can do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it really is, I mean, like a personality trait, you know, because I, I coach, you know, 
other students as well in this business. And I coach virtual wholesaling. And I got, you know, I'm meeting different people with different personality types and seeing, you know, how some people just the littlest things get pushed the brakes on their life and everything. And I was actually writing some content myself. You know, I do these videos and YouTube videos. And I was writing one because I thought about it. I thought, you know, in eight years, there's never been not one week where my company didn't send out offers to sellers on homes. Every single week, that's like all we did every week. I never took a week off. Now that at that sometimes it was me making those offers. Now I have people that do that for me. I have, you know, staff, but it's like in our organization in eight years, we've made offers to sellers every single week, five offers, probably at least, if not more. I mean, we try to make like 20. So think of in eight years, all the things that happened to me personally. I had a baby. Like I gave birth. Yeah. (laughs) um, That's a big one. I was like pregnant, right? I was pregnant and tired, gave birth, had a full-time job, had bad days, gotten fights with my friends. I don't know. I'm just making up things that happened in eight years, right? Like Right. Everything. Everything. Got a divorce, you guys. Like I got a divorce. Like lots of things. I moved. I moved twice. I mean, lots of things have happened in my life. And that does not mean that I sat on the couch and watched TV and felt sorry for myself. I Maybe I would do that for like an hour or two. But in the end, I got up that day and I worked and I never took even a week off. I think what I notice about people, it's like the littlest thing will happen to them and they take a month off, like a month of like <laughs> not making offers or anything, like a straight month. They're like, and I'm like, whoa, like, so what happened? And it's like a single guy, no kids, doesn't even have a full-time job. And he's like, oh, you know, I just, I moved. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get used to the new place. (laughs) Yeah, you got to, you know, you got to get acclimated to your new one bedroom apartment. Like, what have you been doing for the last month? (laughs) You know, it's like they get stuck and then, oh, well, I've been reading Never Split the Difference. You know that book? And I'm like, that's great and all that you like to read, but that literally is not doing anything for your wallet. <laughs> yeah. All. You know, so many people, I find myself sometimes doing this too, Lauren, so get your perspective, but you know, you look at a task at hand and it seems like a big accomplishment, right? I'm going to go wholesale, let's say a property in a new market, right? Well, I don't know how to go from A to Z. Well, that's okay. But if you just get yourself from A to B and then B to C and just take these little steps, next thing you know, you'll have done that goal, right? So if you break it down in these like little, okay, you know, what's my most important next step I've got to do to get to that end goal? You don't always have to see the full picture, but if you can just continue making progress every single week, make those offers, right? Or every single month, you know, do something towards that business or grow or scale or whatever. What's your take there? I love that. So I call that small wins. Okay. So yeah, I think that's a a great way to say that though, the A to B, B to C, and you know, instead of A to Z. I call it just a compilation of small wins. Yeah. I mean, that's really what real estate is, right? You're going to go out and buy your very first duplex. You're going to syndicate a 500 unit apartment building or just wholesale a deal, whatever it is. You don't necessarily have to have that full roadmap figured out. You know, if you can just go out, start taking action, you'll learn as you go. Instead of sitting at home reading, never split the difference, even though it's a great book, don't confuse that all the time with, you know, actually taking action. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think some of the most successful people I know where they are not perfectionists. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm not, I'm not a perfectionist. I think that's actually like one of my worst qualities in some things, but like 
one of my best qualities is that I, a lot of the stuff that I do is total crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like yeah. I just throw crap out and it's like, let's see if that works. <laughs> so I heard this quote recently and I'll probably butcher it, but it said something along the lines of like, if you look back at yourself a few years ago and you're not embarrassed at what you're doing, then you probably haven't made enough progress. Wow. That is so true. Yes. Like if you look back, you know, like where you were as an investor, or if you're a podcaster, if you created a YouTube video or whatever, and you look back three years ago, which I cringe at just like oh. doing that. I'm like, oh man, I was so bad. I'm still bad, but I was really bad then. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you're probably not growing enough and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. For sure. <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of wholesaling. So I, generally know what it means, know how it works, but how have you made kind of the remote model work and what exactly are you doing? Okay. So wholesaling is essentially assigning your contract. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's not mistake this for I'm buying a property, closing on it, put in then fixing it up and putting it back on the market. No, I am getting a property under contract at a discount. And my discount is so good that I am able to offer this property to another investor still at a discount that makes sense to the other investor, but there's a little spread in the in-between for myself. Sure, so sure. we do this via contract assignment. And the reason I like wholesaling as a virtual model is it eliminates the repairs. It eliminates the construction aspect of flipping houses. So when I started as a house flipper, I got my deals the same way a wholesaler did. I, go, I used to go straight to the seller, which is actually pretty unique. Most flippers, they don't do the direct-to-seller marketing. They want to just buy from wholesalers because they're busy managing their flipper operations, raising capital, managing construction you know, properties and whatnot. Yeah. I had just learned out the gate to what wholesalers were doing. I thought, well, you know, it's a little extra step. It's a little harder, but I'm going to get fatter spreads. And then I'm going to have the option to wholesale, which I kind of liked being able to like, wholesale one here and there just in case like if I felt unsure about a flip I bought, I would wholesale something just to like even it out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so the thing is, is I tried flipping houses out of state. I did. And I was doing it on my own. I didn't have a joint venture partner. I was doing it on my own and I was just getting managing hosed. your own contractors. Working yeah. With I, and I was getting hosed like because I wasn't there and the contractors knew it. And it was very difficult to manage a flip project from across the country. The contractors were just taking advantage of me. It's funny because ground up construction is actually easier than flipping a house when you're not there. Cause ground up, there's no change orders. Like there's, it is like, it's, we started with dirt. So yeah. like, how could the contractor have gotten it wrong? Um, so ground up was actually easier. It was the flipping, like buying an old home that then, oh, we tore it, you know, we took this out and we noticed that this pipe is this and that. And, you know, and you're like, why didn't you see that when you first inspected? Is that even there? Or are you just making that up? You know? Yeah. So wholesaling eliminates all that, which is great. It eliminates, you know, the construction part. We do all of the marketing in-house here from California. My, most of my team is here in California. We talk to sellers over the phone. We are, you know, telling the, you know, building rapport with the sellers. It's a lot of sales, you know, building rapport and talking to a lot of sellers to getting that one deal. But once we get it, then we rely on our boots on ground at the local markets to help us 
show it to other investors. And we've built such a big investor database. Like I'm really proud of the, you know, buyers list that we have in our markets. We can pretty much move, you know, anything as long as, you know, the numbers make sense. Right, right. We've got great buyers. Some of them are all over their multi-unit like landlord buyers that are all over like kind of hedge fund type uh, landlord buyers mm-hmm. that are not even necessarily based in that local market. So it's great. It's just, it's very easy to manage that out of state. That's what we're doing for now. And if we ever get out of this quadrant, I do always see myself wholesaling out of state. I'll never take my hand off of that. But I do hope there's a time that I could flip in my local backyard more for the creative aspect of it. I really enjoy doing it. So I would love if we could start seeing a, you know, some more deals come back and I can kind of do that again. Yeah, sure. Talking about that wholesaling model, Lauren, that end buyer is typically a real estate investor. Are you always assuming that that person is a flipper or could they be a buy and hold investor? I know the numbers kind of have to make different sense on one strategy versus the other. What's your targeted end buyer there? My target, and it's for the area I'm in, is a landlord buyer. Landlord, okay. They pay so, more. Mm-hmm. They usually okay. pay more. The flippers are usually like they want a bigger discount. Sure, sure. Okay. Now, wholesaling kind of has this reputation as a strategy that's easy for new real estate investors to get into. You know, they can kind of get into it for little to no money, you know, find, you know, just kind of do that hustle mentality getting something under contract, flip the contract to somebody else, make some quick cash, right? And it's a kind of a, I see some merit to it. Do you agree with that? Do you think there's more to it? Or is it, you know, a model that people can get into pretty easily? I like to call it like the gateway drug of investing. (laughs) It is what you could start out with and not have a lot of, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, it is a good way to get started. And then, you know, it opens up some doors for you. You might get interested in house flipping. It is a great way or, you know, buying rentals. It seems like um, it might be mildly addicting. <laughs> mildly addicting, right. <laughs> so yeah, I know it is. It definitely is. I would say people think it's easier. What I've noticed with my student base is like, if they're totally green, they do think it's like easier than you know, they don't like then it is, you know, and it's still yeah. work. You know, it is still work. You know, the the sales aspect, the marketing aspect of it, I think a lot of people don't realize that really you're just sales and marketing expert. You know, that's really what you are. And if you can kind of put that in your head, I mean, you could do that in any type of industry. Sales and marketing is like, you know, something that every industry needs and uses. So it's very sales and marketing intensive. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think they still kind of have the HGTV vision. Yeah, sure. Yeah. One thing that draws me to the wholesaling model or this virtual wholesaling model is that virtual component. I like having that location independence. I'm an out-of-state investor primarily myself. So I like, you know, having the ability to have those properties at arms, you know, bay, you know, so you're not tempted to have to drive by them every evening after work or, you know, kind of worrying about them there in another state. And you have to set up processes and systems to, you know, automate those and keep those kind of running themselves without you physically going to be there every single day. For sure. Yeah. I do wonder if I, because I'm so removed that that's maybe why my stress level is a little, is pretty low actually, because it's not in my backyard. Now, do you ever have any kind of a plan to do more buy and hold or is that just kind of dependent on, on the market and the cycle and all that? 
dependent on the market and the cycle. So at the time, you know, when I got started, I was, you know, super green and I am pretty conservative. It was just me in the business. It wasn't, you know, wasn't like I didn't have a partner. It was just me figuring it out on my own. And I was just, I thought flipping houses was a big deal for me. You know, that was a, a big undertaking. And I didn't have the investment capital to buy and hold at the time when I first got started. Now I'm in that place, you know, where I have the capital, but I don't like where we are in the market cycle. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and so I want to wait until we're in quadrant one again. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah, I and mean, I'm sure we'll get there. You know, sometime in you know my lifetime. It's not you know I don't want to just start buying properties now just because I can because you know it could be I, after the election or it could be if coronavirus doesn't ever let up like you know that we see an adjustment and then I just bought all these rentals at the top of the market. I kind of that's what I'm holding out for now. Yeah, sure. Talking about that quadrant, do you have a resource where we could point people to to kind of see that visually? Because I can kind of understand what you're saying. I've tend to have seen that more in like a market cycle, like a cyclical kind of graph. Do you have any place where you've seen that that you can recall? I don't know if Bruce Norris has it like as a visual, but I would always listen to him speak. Okay. He's a local guy. He has a podcast as well. And He's actually, funny enough, he's doing more out-of-state stuff now, too. He's not in California either. So when Bruce started going to Florida, I started you know, going, okay, so California is not the place. But he was a California hard money lender. And he came out with an amazing, it's a quarterly newsletter. I think he stopped doing the newsletter, but it was really good. And he would talk about the quadrants in the newsletter. So I don't know if he has any, you know, if he's still doing it, actually inspiring me to after this, look it up and see if he still offers that newsletter. You can buy and get it like every quarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if we find it, we'll link it in the show notes for audience members to check out if we can find the graphic or put something together even. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Lauren, you actually, you know, really experienced coaching people how to get into this model. What advice would you give to someone who's maybe interested in getting into real estate? They think this wholesaling model sounds really cool, or maybe they're interested in, you know, wholesaling some of the leads that they have or whatever it might be. Any kind of entry advice to those audience members that might be in that position? You know, if I were to do it all over again, I would have partnered with someone who is a high level wherever you want to be, right? So at the time I was a house flipper. I wish I would have partnered with somebody who was flipping like 50 houses a year. And said, Hey, I'll split everything 50 50 with you. I'll just bring you the deals and you show me the ropes. Because in my first year, it's funny, I was literally looking at this yesterday how many deals I did my first two years. It was like two deals and then it was like three deals. So they were just flips and they were big. I mean, they were big flips. I made good money, but it was like two deals, three deals, you know? And then the next year was like, I think I got up to like maybe 12 or something. Yeah. Wow. Like it went from like 12 and then it was like 20 and then it was like wholesaling. So it was more deals, but less profit that I wish if it was year one, I wish I found someone that was doing like 50 flips a year in California. Like, you know, there were enough of them. They, I could have easily found someone and said, I will split 50, 50 with you. If you help me flip these homes and like help me find the money and just help me get, yeah, I would probably be retired. I'm not even kidding. Like I think I w- could be retired by now because there were so many really good deals with huge margins at that time. I think that's great advice for no matter what you're doing. Find somebody who's doing 
what it is you're interested in, partner up with them, bring whatever value you can, give up whatever you have to do just to get in, learn the business. And, you know, like you said, looking back, you know, no telling where you would have been had you done that. My friends in this business that are the most successful, like my seven figure a year earner friends all have partners. That something like to think of. Something to think about. So don't, I don't know. I mean, I know some people fear having partners and I did. I'm just now partnering in my business in many, like in different ways. I've a few, my hands in a few different things right now. And I've just now like the coaching program, I partnered, right? I could have done that on my own. And I partnered with Wholesaling Inc. I have a software coming out, partnered with that. I don't think I will ever get into anything that's just my own anymore. I think I'm all about partner, partner, partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Lauren, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Let's wrap up with our lightning round if you're up for it. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Fear. That okay. was my biggest hurdle. Yeah. My own, my own self. And then what'd you do to overcome it? Mm. I had to make myself uncomfortable a lot. And every time I started getting a little uncomfortable, like I knew that this meant I had to do it. It took a lot of time. And I think now, like what's helped me overcome it now, again, I'm going to bring up the partnership aspect where I am in this, just in this last year, I finally said, you know, it's a lot less scary when you have somebody by your side. So I I, I lived in fear for years and that's always been, I think my biggest struggle. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Lauren, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Like a daily personal habit. Could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a lot of really good habits. I I don't want to brag, but I do have really good habits. I eat really clean and healthy. Okay. Because if you drink every night, you're going to feel like crap the next day and you're not going to be motivated. So I've got kind of, you know, I still like to have fun. You know, I'll drink my wine, you know, on a Friday night, but like, I don't like to drink during the week. I like to eat like pretty clean for the most part. A lot of, you know, I make sure I get good sleep. I exercise, you know, pretty much every day. So I have really good, you know, health habits. I think that those are really important. Lately, a new habit I just picked up and I'm obsessed with is I wake up at 5.30 in the morning and I work like I get some work done before my kids wake up. And that's been a game changer. Like that one hour before my kids wake up and before the world wakes up is the equivalent of like three hours of like in the middle of the day time. Sure. Yeah. Not to mention you're on the West Coast. You have to wake up early and catch up with those Central Coast and or Central Time and East Coasters, right? So... For sure. And then I'm always educating myself. I'm always reading. I'm always reading some kind of like personal development business book. You know, every day I'm listening to podcasts, listening to, you know, stuff to keep me motivated. Sometimes it's just to keep you motivated, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, good habits. What about an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? Ooh, an online resource. I've I mean, I feel like podcasts are really good. Yeah. If that can, can that count as an online? I think we're a bit biased, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, right? No, I, uh, we a little bit. I think podcasts are really great yeah. for like motivation. Like I feel like whenever I'm feeling like I need my battery recharged a little bit, like I'll go on like Ed Milet and uh, yeah. listen to him, you know, or, you know, just, I mean, 
I don't know. I think that those are really great to like keep you keep your head in a good spot. Yeah, totally agree. Obviously. (laughs) Well, Lauren, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I always recommend the same book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Okay. Um, Yeah. I think that's just a really good like mindset book. It teaches you that the little habits that you have, the habits and choices that you make every single day don't seem like they end result as much, you know, by the end of the day, but compounded over years is, I mean, it's unbelievable how much those habits and choices can, where they could take you down or they can take you, you know, like a rocket ship, you know, up. So for me, like the last eight years, I read the compound effect early in my career and I remember that every day to just have good habits. So that's why I'm, I'm actually very passionate about having good habits. I like that perspective. I like that kind of mantra of, you know, just improve a little bit every day, right? If you're just 1% better than you were the previous day, it doesn't have to be 1% better than someone else. All you're doing is just trying to improve yourself day after day after day. In 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you'll look back, you'll be embarrassed at yourself, and you'll look at where you are then. So yeah, I completely love that. Lauren, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Lauren? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, okay. I do have, I have this funny thing. It has a bad word in it. So I'm going to just say, I have this idea of when you're young, you've got five FU years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Four, four F off years. Okay. And I've told a friend of mine this, you know, like he was saying he might want to start his own business. I was like, how old are you? You know? And I was like, oh, you've got at least five F off years. And like where you just, you should just stir everything up in your life. Like just try, like throw crap on the wall, see what sticks. Don't worry about like losing that much money because you don't have much money anyway. Like just don't stress. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Like just go and try stuff. I mean, when you're 20 years old, what the heck do you have to lose? When I was 20 years old, I was so serious. And I was like, Oh my God. Like ever, I didn't travel. I didn't go to like, I didn't travel because I was like, Oh, well, I really, you know, I'm in college and I got this internship and like, I can't take a day off because like my boss, you know, won't like me, even though like he's not even paying me really. But like, I was so responsible and I wish I would have actually been less fear based less responsible, which is like the 34-year-old in me now. I'm having way more fun in my life. I travel more. I do more like fun. I take more risks. I wish I would have done that when I was younger. I really like that advice. It's unique. I completely agree with you. You know, when I was 20, I was being a bonehead for sure, but I, I took myself so seriously, right? Like I had all these things I thought I had to do, you know, study hard, get good grades, get that internship, like you said. And Looking back, like I didn't have any money to lose. My time wasn't that valuable. You know, it's like, I wish I would have taken more risks, taken more shots at things, you know, but five F off years. That's what I (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, that's cool. You'll have to uh, kind of coin that term. We'll attribute it to you from now on. But well, hey, Lauren, it has been really fun talking with you, kind of looking at your journey and how you, you know, you were kind of in a, a market where things weren't always working the way you wanted them to. So you pivoted. You went to new strategies, new markets. You constantly have kind of been tweaking things and it, you know, you've been able to build what you've built. And it's uh, really awesome to see that. It's inspiring to many people out there, I'm sure. 
you're actually kind of full circle going back, teaching people to do exactly what you did. So tell us a little bit about that. So my coaching program, is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, I was approached by Wholesaling Inc. earlier this year to become a coach with them and teach virtual. They saw there was a need. A lot of students were coming from New York, Miami, and Seattle, LA, OC, Bay Area, like high price markets were real estate investing is really tough yeah. to do. And they needed they needed someone to teach them how to do it out of state. So like the rest of their programs, you know, those students could then do the rest of the wholesaling ink programs. So they approached me and asked me to be a coach. I never in a million years thought I would coach ever. Never thought I'd have a course. Not ever was that in my head. But I wanted to do something different. I was like, well, this might be entertaining. I've been kind of doing the same thing for eight years. Let's try this out. So I created a course. It's an online coaching program and it comes with six months of coaching and it's called Virtual Investing Mastery. If anybody wants to look into it, it's virtualinvestingmastery.com. But if you just want to learn a little bit more about me and like my style of coaching, I've got a bunch of free content if you went to This Mom Flips on YouTube. So look for my YouTube channel. Yeah, um, that's an awesome channel there. I was checking it out this morning. Yeah, this cool. Mom Flips, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So I got that name for my flipper days and I have not let it go. So uh, yeah, and on Instagram, I post, you know, tips and things like that. This mom flips is my Instagram handle. So awesome. We'll tag all the social media and contact information in the show notes. And one more time, what was the uh, website for the wholesaling? Virtual investing mastery. Got it. We will link that in the show notes. Hey, Lauren, it was so much fun having you on. As we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience members? Oh, man. Well, guys, piece of advice, learn the quadrants. Learn a thing or two because we're in a funny time. So Definitely so. Yeah. Well, Lauren, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to having you back on in the near future, maybe on the next quadrant of our time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Take care. You too. Bye. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Lauren Hardy. Hey, what an awesome conversation. If you are one of these people who are in maybe an expensive market where the rental numbers just don't make sense or you have some other obstacle or challenge in your life, I hope that Lauren's story provides inspiration and motivation for you to overcome those challenges, do the things you have to do to make this real estate investing thing happen for you. For all the resources and everything else we mentioned in the podcast, you can always find those in the show notes. As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobayers.com. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.